seeing leads to believing. We'll be in John chapter 4, picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago as we are finishing up the story of the Samaritan woman. And I want to start with this question, this question being, how did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, or as some people have put it, your forgiver and your leader? Just think about that just for a second. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? For many of you in here, it may have been uh, as a child, maybe at a vacation Bible school, uh, maybe at a church service at some point you walked an aisle, or maybe even you have a, a, a bigger testimony. Maybe you were living for yourself and living for the world and God pulled you out of that. However it may be, I want you to just put in your mind, how did you come to know him? <coughs> Excuse me. And the thing is, there may be someone in here that says, you know what, I either don't remember or I never have. And if if that's you, then that's okay. Today may be your day. But uh, have you come to know Jesus Christ because someone shared his or her story with you right in front of you? Or has your story of Jesus impacted somebody else? This is a, a fancy way of saying, can your testimony impact somebody and and how do you share your testimony you don't need a seminary degree to learn how to do that all you got to do is in about 30 seconds each talk about your life before christ how you met christ and how your life is different after christ and so in a time span of a minute and a half you can share your story with anybody but Maybe some of you, as I said a moment ago, don't have a story at all. But what we see here is that I want you to understand that when Jesus is reaching out to people, when Jesus reaches out to you, when Jesus reaches out to this community, when Jesus reaches out to this nation and this world, he breaks all kinds of barriers when he reaches out to someone. How do I know that? Because I am a recipient of him reaching out. Many of you in here are recipients of him reaching out. But during our last time together, we left the well where Jesus went out of his way to minister to an unsuspecting Samaritan woman. He knew everything about her, even her unfavorable, unsavory reputation. The woman was thinking, why would this Jewish man even want to talk with me and sit down with me? And this doesn't make sense. So as we look at this encounter, we, we studied it a couple weeks ago, and now we're, we're kind of in the middle of the story. But as Jesus is talking with this woman, he breaks a few barriers. Think of the social barriers that we build, that, that our culture builds. It says, well, if you have this certain income bracket, you need to associate with people of the like income bracket. Or if, if you have this type of reputation, you need to hang out with this kind of reputation of people. But, but what we see here is that Jesus was breaking down barriers that culture was putting on them. The first and foremost one was Jesus was breaking the race barrier. Now, when you think about that, if you preach this in a church out in another part of the world, there's always going to be race. and There's always going to be racism everywhere you go. But But here, still in the south and in the the belt buckle of the south here, sometimes some of that stuff tends to hold on. But I want you to understand something. Jesus 
didn't care about her nationality. Jesus didn't care about the color of her skin. He saw her as someone who needed salvation. My friend, if you call yourself a Christian, you better stop looking at color. You better stop looking at religion. If they have a towel on their head, it doesn't mean that they're going to hell. They, we have to make sure that we don't give in to the hype that the culture is selling us. Is that Jesus broke down the race barrier because the Samaritans, they were seen by the Jews as half-breeds from those Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles. Not only did he break the race barrier, he broke the gender barrier. I hate to say it, but back in biblical times, women's had little to no rights at all. Just, I mean, she was there fetching water for the day for the men that were in her life. Or the man that was in her life. And so the fact that a man would sit down in front of her, a Jewish man, sit down in front of her and talk to her. As I was talking with our, our Bible study this morning, this quite barely could have been the first man ever to approach this woman and not want anything from her. Not have a need that they were trying to meet. Jesus was there for her. And he broke the gender barrier. So he broke the race barrier. He broke the gender barrier. But what about the barriers that we impose on ourselves? We see that Jesus risked his safety. Well, how did he risk his safety? Because the route that he took to encounter this Samaritan woman was a route that the Jews normally avoided. This was a route... The Jews would go out of their way to not have to take this street. But Jesus risked his safety by going towards that woman and where she was. And Jesus, as we see in this passage, Jesus was exhausted. Again, we see the humanity of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is 100% God, but he was 100% human. And I don't know if you've ever been to the point of exhaustion. Jesus was there. So he risked his safety, and the woman took ownership of her past, and Jesus looked past it. I want you to understand something, folks, that when Jesus met this woman, hear me out, Jesus added value to that woman's life. Jesus added value to that woman's life, because you read in verses 14 through 19, it says, or excuse me, 16 through 19, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, for you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. As I told the Bible study this morning, he didn't chastise her. He didn't call her a sinner. He didn't call her a slang word that most women that have many men in their lives are called? Did he even address the sin? No, he didn't. It didn't mean that he was giving her a pass on it, but there was something more important here. It was more important for him to build value in that woman's life than to have the the satisfaction of knowing that he was more godly than she was. Just a side note here, men, the greatest ministry you can have in your life is adding value to a woman's life. The greatest impact you can make if you have a spouse, a mother, 
a sister, a cousin, a friend. We live in a world that does everything it can to take value away from each other. The greatest ministry you can have is adding value to the women in your life. Give them assurances where there are insecurities because there are plenty. Give your time and attention when they feel lonely. Listen to her when she wants to talk. And even talk about her feelings because I guarantee you this, man. If she's talking to you and you're not listening, there will always be somebody ready to take your place. Add value to the women in your life. Because, folks, communication is a big deal. Jesus does not judge anyone's past, but see, but see them as Jesus does. A beautiful soul in need of redemption. Because, folks, when you and I see people as God sees them, the words will follow from our hearts. Don't focus on their outward appearance. Don't look for things that divide you, but yet find things that unite you together. And see them as you once were lost in your sin before you met Jesus Christ. So that's the side note. That's the commercial. Let's jump into the text for today. We see here that first of all, (coughs) seeing leads to believing means seeing Jesus as our Messiah brings purpose to an empty life. Verse 25 says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I am he. Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Just then, his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. What we see this in this passage, take for example, verse 25. Everyone, everyone in here needs a Savior, whether we realize it or not. Regardless of the Samaritan woman's backstory, we know that she, like many others, knew the story that there was a Messiah that was on his way. She had no idea at the moment that she was sitting in front of the Messiah, but she had enough religion about her to know that that uh, there would be a Messiah. <coughs> Folks, our world is looking for heroes. As I've said before, look at the banks that are being flooded with money from the money that we give to movies and books and toys and all these other things for superheroes. Everybody wants a superhero. In verse 27, we see that there was a lesson the disciples had to learn. You see, the disciples were curious, but they knew enough not to question Jesus and ask him why he was talking to such a woman. It would have been very easy for them to say, Jesus, do you not know who you're talking to? And I hate to say that, but there might be some Christians that if you're reaching out to someone that may not look like you, that may not dress like you, that might not have the same income as you, there might be Christians that would say, oh, why are you talking to him? You've got to be careful not to put up 
those barriers. The disciples had a lesson to learn. And understand this. If Jesus is talking to someone, it's for a purpose. So my friend, if Jesus is pulling at the strings of your heart through his spirit, you better listen because he has a purpose for it. If you are a believer and he is pulling at your heartstrings to talk to you, listen. And if you are a non-believer fighting tooth and nail to give over control to somebody other than yourself. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke and take my burden before, because it is easy and it is light. If he is talking to you, my friend, I would take time to listen because he has a purpose. We do not choose who Jesus does and does not talk to. And sometimes the best thing we can do is when Jesus is working, watch, listen, and pray. For example, I know sometimes like if, if I go, heaven forbid, five minutes over, then 1130 and the invitation comes, they're, they're looking around saying, all right, who's going to go up this week? I, I got a pot roast at home. I got to get, get off the crock pot. Come on now. And everybody's wondering about, okay, what's going to happen? And there's people that feel that tension. What if at some point during an invitation you were to say, God, I'm good, but let me pray for the person beside me. And if this invitation has to go on until Tammy's fingers turn blue... We will, go, we will not leave this place until God is dealing with someone and they come to know Him. And if that would bring you joy, it would be far better than any meal or any nap you get in the following hour. If Jesus is talking, we need to listen. Verse 28, belief in Jesus brings change. What does it say the woman did with her water jar? Folks, she went there to get water. She met Jesus. What did she do with it? She left the jar. Folks, I'm telling you what. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, the things that used to be important to you no longer become important. Do you remember that time to when Jesus came into your life? I remember in my time, there were friends that I that were doing things that were not biblical. I would be ashamed to talk about what I did in this pulpit. I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, but I wasn't good either. And all of these things that had a hold of my life, when Jesus Christ came to my life, I didn't want them anymore. I put them down. There was a change. And I know you know that as well. <coughs> and we see the belief in Jesus brings change and also the purpose of guilt in salvation. Jesus cold busted her on her sin. Did he not? He said, yeah, I know. You're married. You've been married five times and you're living with a man now. Why, why would he say that? And anywhere, as I said a moment ago, did he, did he do that to make her feel guilty? No, but he just wanted him, her to know one thing. There is nothing that she can hide from him. And the crazy thing is, after he said that, he still wanted to talk to her. The reason he brought that up was not to guilt her into some kind of decision. He brought that up to her to show her that he knows her shortcomings, but he loves her anyway. Don't miss that. There's a story. If some of you have ever dealt with the guilt of former sins, I heard this on the radio the other day. A, a commentator, Steve Brown, was, was telling the story, and it, 
It's a popular story, so let me read it to you real quick. It says, there was a little boy, Johnny. I don't know why they always call him Johnny, but little Johnny received a slingshot as a gift. He practiced it in the woods, but he could never hit his target. So as he came to his grandmother's backyard, there he saw it. And he could not resist the temptation. There was his grandmother's prized pet duck. Okay, little Johnny, slingshot, and prized pet duck. You know where this is going, right? So he got that slingshot, and somehow he managed with dead shot accuracy to take that duck out. And then he said, oh, my goodness, I have killed my grandmother's pet duck. So as any boy would, he tries to hide it. And so he takes this poor dead duck, and he puts his dead duck into the wood pile. All the while, his little sister Sally is watching him. You know where this is going, don't you? Well, he tried to, hold, he tried to, to hide that duck, but uh, sadly, she had seen it. <coughs> so after lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help wash the dishes. Don't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. (laughs) Well, later Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper. Sally just smiled and said, that's all taken care of, isn't it, Johnny? Remember the duck. Well, Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. And after several days of this torment, Johnny figured that he is done with his chores and he couldn't take it anymore. So it was just he and his grandmother. And he says, Grandma, I am so sorry. But you know this slingshot that I had? I accidentally killed your duck. And I hit him in the wood pile. And I'm so sorry. (laughs) grandmother said little Johnny I know it because I saw it out the window when you were doing it I was right here washing dishes and I saw everything that happened and I was just wondering how long it would take you to tell me before Sally got the best of you there is a point in this when someone comes to you and says remember your duck Understand that God has already forgiven you. When this woman of the night, this loose woman, comes to Jesus and everybody's saying, remember her ducks. Jesus says, they've been forgiven. (coughs) And then believing, a believing life is a changed life in verse 30. And then we move on to The second part is that the disciples see their role in Jesus' plan. In verses 31 through 38. It says, in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat. (coughs) Okay, got it now. Verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you is what he says. 
Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. What in the world does this mean? Verse 31, we see serving Jesus brings a much needed nourishment to our life. You see, we nourish our body with food. We nourish our body with the right foods. But folks, how do we nourish our spirit? Doing the will of God brings satisfaction to our soul. I think of a child that's pleasing a parent. I think of a student that gets that final exam and they studied all night and they know all the answers. So they, they joyfully write down everything they know and they get a good grade. I think of that person that has an unmovable, unmovable refusal to live for God and their life is strained. And their, their spiritual life is strained because they're not pleasing God. So you have nourished and you have unnourished. Think of it this way. Is that the disciples are saying, Jesus, surely you need something to eat. And Jesus is saying, look, there's something far more important than food for my body. I'm nourishing this woman's spirit. Look at it this way. God has given you a stack of bricks. Everybody in here. You got a stack of bricks. Okay? Everybody holding your bricks? God has given you bricks. And you've got two choices build something beautiful or hold on to them until they become a burden. The way we nourish our spiritual life is by building beautiful things that God leads us to build. It's a whole burden versus a benefit. Verses 34 through 35. Jesus is attending to his first priority. It says Jesus grabbed their attention. In verse 35, how does he grab their attention? <coughs> what does he tell them? Are you allowed to talk on Sunday mornings or am I? Open Thank you. Open your eyes. Look at me. Kind of like the parent taking the kid by both ears and saying, I want you to listen to me. Because sometimes, you know, they, they get sidetracked. But the disciples had in their hearts, their hearts were in the right place. They wanted to make sure that Jesus was taken care of. Now, I'm going to say something, and when I first say it, when I first thought about it, it sounded a little controversial, but hopefully after I explain it, you'll understand where my heart is on this. <clears throat> Jesus does not need us to hold his hand. Jesus does not need us to hold his hand. He holds our hand as we reach out to others with the other one. What does this mean? Can you fault the disciples for wanting to make sure that their mentor is not hungry? That's a good thing, right? And Jesus is not chastising them for it. But he is saying, look, thanks, but the greater issue is... This woman's soul and this woman's spirit. So what does that mean for you and for me? That means that, hey, Jesus deserves our praise. Amen? Jesus deserves our service. Amen? 
Jesus deserves everything that we have. Can I get an amen? But does He need it? No. And if we give Him all that we are in everything that we have, yet do not reach out for the spiritual needs of those around us, are we doing the purpose that He has sent us here to do? The answer is no. Look, we can have praise and worship services all over the place. But unless we are being the church outside of these walls and reaching out to people that are in need, we're not helping. We're doing something that's good, but we're not doing what we should be doing. And if the disciples had it mixed up, what makes you think that we have it straight? He's gently reminding the disciples, remember your purpose. He's telling you in this passage to the Samaritan woman, remember your purpose. Your purpose is to never forget those around you. Jesus wants more than our words and our prayers and actions. He wants us to engage in taking Him to the world. We have to remember the priority of the harvest. We have to remember that the harvest is real. And that it is a priority. For example, a group of friends went deer hunting. And they paired off into twos for the day. And that night, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering under the eight-point buck he was carrying. They said, hey, where's Harry? He asked, and Harry had a stroke of some kind, and he's a couple miles back on the trail. And he said, what, you left Harry there and carried the deer back? He said, yeah, I figured nobody would steal Harry. He got his bug back to the truck, but Harry was on his own, right? Folks, that hunter lost the true priority, had lost the value of his friend, and had lost the value of why he was doing what he was doing. There's a difference or a correlation between worship, the worshiping of Jesus, and serving Jesus. And let me put it this way. We see the disciples as the most devout followers of Christ that had ever lived. But even they struggled with a balance between worshiping Christ and serving Christ. So, one enhances the other, but one removes both. For example, you can worship all day long, but if you're not serving, you're not doing any good. And if you're serving, you're serving because that makes you feel good, I guess, but if you're not worshiping... You're doing it for the wrong reasons. This is a play on the words of the whole faith versus works thing. <coughs> Sharing Christ with our world means not keeping score or getting credit. Verses 36 through 38, he talks about the reapers already receiving and praying and gathering fruit. Folks, there's three gross misunderstandings that the disciples have in this passage. Number one, the disciples either on purpose or accidentally, had written off the people at Sychar. They were saying, why don't you get something to eat? Why don't we move on? They had written them off. The disciples knew that the people didn't like them because they were Jews. And the third thing was the disciples assumed the people would not want to hear the message. Boy, it's really easy to talk ourselves out of talking about Jesus if we think people might get mad at us. But here is... The problem, we are still having those same misunderstandings today. But in actuality, 
what Jesus is telling them, that others had gone before them and planted seeds for the harvest. These forerunners had gone out and started the conversation about Jesus. We know this. How do we know that there was already a discussion about Jesus? You can look in your scriptures and it can tell you. At the very beginning, what does the woman say about Jesus? Are you the Messiah? She brought it up. She knew about the Messiah. Someone, somewhere along the way, had planted the seed that she was in need of a Messiah. Some of you, you might not be the reapers, but you can sow seed and start that conversation. You and I must face our fears and faith when talking to others about Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a seed planter, or maybe you've had the joy of seeing them reaped. Excuse me. It will be amazing to see how Jesus uses your faith and story when you are not worried about who will get credit for it or how it will benefit you personally. It'll be amazing. Look, okay, the preacher's up here and we're talking about sharing our faith and you're thinking, well, that's what the preachers are supposed to do. That's what the deacons are supposed to do. That's what all the other leadership in the church, I'm just an attender. And I'll be their support. I see nowhere in the Bible where it says that's how it works. We all have been given a story. And here's the crazy thing. That if, if I sit up here and preach, or I'm talking to somebody and I share my story, that's one dimensional. But every one of you in here has a journey. Every one of you in here has a purpose. And every one of you in here has a story relating to Jesus Christ that someone needs to hear. All you got to do, pray for the opportunity and be ready. (coughs) Last but not least, true faith impacts those who encounter it. We see here that many Samaritans of the town believed in him because of what the woman said. And she testified, he told me everything I ever did. We see a whole case of verse 39 of she said, he said. The Samaritan woman's words grabbed their attention. Your testimony, your words talking about Jesus Christ can grab somebody's attention. But I got news for you. Your words are not going to change anybody. And it doesn't matter if I preach the most infallible, picture perfect sermon that has ever been preached. Those are just words. Jesus' words are what changed the Samaritan woman. But the woman's words are the ones that got everybody's attention. The woman's words are the ones that got everybody's attention. Because seeing leads to believing. Seeing leads to believing. Verses 41 and 42, it says, Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. Folks, the Samaritans saw a change in the woman's life. Folks, people will notice your change. Each Samaritan had to make their own choice with the truth that they heard. They believed the woman's story, but more importantly, they believed Jesus' words. So folks, as we say goodbye to the Samaritan woman this morning, remember, 
her despair of going through life, labeled by her past, while still having the knowledge that there is a Messiah. If you allow yourself to go there just for a second, don't worry, I'm wrapping up and we're going to be done here in a minute. But think about this. That woman was wearing the label that people were putting on her of the type of woman she was all the time knowing that she's heard that there's supposed to be a Messiah out there. Some of you used to live under those labels that people put on you or that you put on yourself until you found Jesus Christ. And there may be someone in here today that is living under a label that's not desirable. But my friend, let me tell you what, there is a Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to address your sins, not to make you feel guilty, but to forgive you of them. Remember that Samaritan woman this morning. Remember his giving her an opportunity to turn away from her sinful life and begin her spiritual one. And remember her excitement as she changed her life. She changed her faith. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Messiah because seeing led to her believing. So are you in need of forgiveness today? Are you in need of motivating yourself and God motivating you to share your story with others? Folks, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not because of me, but I know that when I was a teenager and my desire to be in the church, I know it had an impact on my parents' faith. That way, I know from this day they are in heaven. Folks, you have no idea what your story and what your life can impact. But let me tell you, my friend, if you are a believer, I encourage you to share it with those you meet. You don't have to be preachy. You don't have to use the perfect verses and the right words. All you got to do is say, Jesus knew my sin. He forgave me. And he is the Messiah. And he has complete control of my life. And if you want the peace that I have, then please do the same. That's all this woman was doing. They saw the change. Your faith may be the very story that leads others to faith in Jesus Christ. If you are at the well this morning, Jesus asks you to believe. Let's pray. Would you bow? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you have given us a picture of Jesus as compassionate and caring. And the Lord, not wanting to label someone by their sins, but to forgive them of them. The Lord, seeing is believing. Seeing leads to believing. There are many in here today that have believed in you and their lives and their change have brought others. Sons, daughters, neighbors family members, strangers have brought them to the Lord. And there may be someone in here today that is wearing that that label that the Samaritan woman wore or a different label and they need forgiveness today. They can know you if they accept you as their Savior and Lord. If this is you today and you would like to do what the Samaritan woman did, place your faith in Jesus Christ, I simply ask you to come forward And I will pray with you. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You could be changed. Just like she was changed. 
Maybe there's a believer here this morning that just needs to to re-up or recommit. Maybe there's someone in here that has has made witnessing and sharing their story something that's not much of a priority. They say, oh, it's a personal thing. You don't need to share it. That's BS. There is nothing personal about the story of gospel. We are to share it with those that need it. God, motivate us to share, motivate us to love, and motivate us to worship, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?